Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, August 9th, 2010. I hope you had a great weekend, that it was restful, that your batteries are recharged, and you're ready to once again go and serve your neighbor in the vocation that God has called you to, whether that is mom or cubicle dweller or trash collector, it doesn't matter. The primary way you serve your neighbor is in the vocation God has put you in. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which is to help you to think biblically, to help you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Christians have a message that they're supposed to be out. Uh, the biz- they have the business of proclaiming and teaching, and that's the good news, the gospel of the forgiveness of sins won by Christ on the cross, uh, Christ dying in your place, his sin being, in, uh, well, your sin being imputed to him, his righteousness being imputed to you by faith. It's this wonderful good news of the great exchange that God uh, is, his wrath has been propitiated, that, uh, that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, that full pardon and forgiveness of sins is offered. Uh, to the world, and uh, we're called to repent and believe in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. This is good news. This is great stuff. You know, I'm going to start off on a tangent. I've been reading, uh, rereading Tertullian's work, his uh, Prescription Against Heretics, and i got to tell you, it's a fantastic work, and if you haven't read it, I I think you should. I might end up posting it in the Cove shortly. I'm working on uh, the footnotes for it, and I'm thinking about putting it together in a downloadable uh, ebook format that you can either read on a Kindle or a Nook or a, a the iPad or you know in, in you know something that you can you know highlight it because it's not the easiest reading uh, in some parts especially the translation that we have and I can't translate it from uh, Latin I don't read Latin so uh but Tertullian's earlier works some of them are very masterful and sadly uh, at the end of his life, uh, he uh, he becomes a heretic himself. He becomes a, a Montanist, and uh, and so it's. Uh, I don't know if we're going to see Tertullian uh, in heaven. Just don't know. But I can tell you this: his prescription against heretics is just absolutely brilliant. And when you read through that work, one of the things that comes that immediately comes to mind is, boy, it sure does seem like. He dealt with some postmoderns back in his era. Now he wrote at the tail end of the second century and the beginning of the third century. So we're talking late uh, 100s, early 200s, 
And uh, and he had this brilliant point that he brought up uh, regard, it, regarding the postmoderns of his era. <laughs> it's so funny that as much as things change, they all stay the same. And uh, the postmoderns of the Roman Empire, you know, they were they would they liked conversation, too. And uh, and they never seemed to want to get anywhere, never wanted to draw any conclusions. And um uh, Tertullian didn't pull any punches with them. He made it basically made it clear they weren't Christians. But uh, second is is that uh, he he said Jesus said seek and you will find. He didn't say you would seek and endlessly seek and keep marching around. He says no. He says seek and you will find. And the thing you're going to find is him. You're going to find him and correct understanding and doctrine regarding him. And once you've found him, you don't need to find anything else. And so it's not about this endless conversational journey. It's about seeking and finding. And Christ is the one that we are all, you know, in one way looking for, but not looking for because by nature we're sinners. So, but I mean, he's the answer to our questions, but we just don't want, we refuse to come to him to have life. That's kind of the problem. But so the point is, is that Christianity is not about endlessly seeking. Christianity offers the solution, the finding. That's Jesus Christ. Seek and you will find. <sighs> good stuff, good stuff, good stuff. Of course, it, you know, so when you study church history, um, Tertullian is kind of one of the first Latin church fathers. And uh, and he is the man who discipled Cyprian. And Cyprian is the man who, uh, who uh, played an instrumental role in discipling uh, the great Augustine. And so, uh, oh man, just just some great stuff. So I had an opportunity to spend some time uh, some time reading the Church Fathers over the weekend. <sighs> you know, you, you you always judge the Church Fathers based upon the Word of God. That being said, some of them are just absolutely magnificent. I mean, you, and you read them and you realize, oh man, I, it. I mean, these guys make Al Mohler. Uh, look like kind of a snot-nosed kid who's kind of an upstart. I mean, th- that's how brilliant some of these guys are. And so I, I always enjoy reading their arguments and uh, and borrowing from them and using them heavenly. And see, that's the thing, is that when the church fathers preach and proclaim and defend the truth, th- th- we have their writings as a deposit. They're there for our use. We don't have to reinvent the wheel in many senses. And what we're facing today, we like to think and imagine that it's uh, so unique and so different that this has never been dealt with before in the entire history of the church. Oh, Peshaw. No, that's not true. No, nothing really changes. And, and uh, you know, there's uh, heretics are going to be with us until the end of the age. And there's only so many ways to pervert the truth. It's just the one that's in vogue today uh, won't be in vogue tomorrow. And so uh, but there's only a, a, there's really only a handful of different ways to uh, deny what God's word says. And so what's in vogue today won't be in vogue tomorrow and something something else will be in vogue tomorrow. But that thing that will be in vogue tomorrow, well, we've already faced it. And so when you read through the church fathers, especially the apologetic ones, the ones written against the heretics, I mean, that's some of the best, best uh, theological work that, you know, that the church has. And when you read these, uh, these uh, church fathers, these early apologists, these defenders of the Christian faith, their arguments, are, they are as sound today as they were back then. And the reason why is because God's word doesn't change. Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. 
And so because humanity only has a short lifespan, you know, you know, 70, 80, uh, 90, 100 years, something like that, um, you know, we quickly forget and we lose sight of things that we really shouldn't forget and lose sight of. And so when you read the church fathers, they're there for edification. They're there as a, as a treasure that we can pull out. And, uh, you know, these guys before blogging was, uh, <laughs> was the in vogue thing. They were blogging on scrolls. They were blogging on papyrus and, and vellum and, <laughs> yeah, maybe that's the wrong way to put it anyway. So their stuff is brilliant. And I, I, I like early Tertullian and, and my heart grieves over uh, what happened to him toward the end of his life. And, um, anyway off on a tangent. I just thought that was so worth sharing. So today's edition of Fighting for the Faith, let's take a look at what we have on deck today. Um, last week I played uh, audio from a video from uh, Rob DeLuca Ministries, but it wasn't Rob DeLuca. It was uh, some guy with last name Baker. Anyway, I've got some Rob DeLuca that I want to play for you. Uh, Rob DeLuca, again, he hangs out with the Extreme Prophetic Gang. Uh, this would be the Patricia Kings and uh, the Todd Bentleys of the world. And, uh, you know, oh, man. Anyway, we're going to be listening to Rob DeLuca's prophecy. He's prof he's apparently prophesying about fire carriers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, um, the, apparently some kind of spiritual arsonists are going to be let loose on the planet. So we're going to listen to his so-called prophecy about fire carriers. And then uh, moving to the news today, I want to I want to talk a little bit about uh, a few news stories. One is a, a Christian Post story entitled Christians Gather in D.C. to Submit America to God. Yeah, when you read the article, when you just hear the headline, you go, ooh, there's something wrong there, right? We're going to unpack uh, some of the things that are wrong with that and uh, take a look at Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse uh, 14, which says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Um, th th that's an amazing passage that points us to repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. And uh, we'll unpack what's what went wrong with this group from PrayerLive.com and uh, their gathering in Washington to, quote, submit America to God. And uh, and then we've got a USA Today story that I have to get to today entitled, Why Do We Need Religion? And uh, this was written by Oliver Thomas, who's uh, a contributor um, uh, to uh, USA Today. And uh, you got to hear this thing. You, you, the, why do we need religion? Well, I mean, this pretty much puts that makes it so that every religion is the same. But we'll talk about that. And uh, and then if we have time, I've got a, 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 a op-ed piece uh, by uh, G. Jeffrey McDonald from the uh, New York Times. G. Jeffrey McDonald is a minister in the United Church of Christ, and uh, he has uh, a, a op-ed piece called "Congregations Gone Wild," which is worth passing along. Even though it sounds like this guy is as liberal as liberal gets, there's some interesting things that he brings up in this article that are worth passing along. And then um, sermon review today. I may or may not get to the Anne Rice thing today. I I don't know. Um, there's a interesting op-ed piece in the L.A. Times about Anne Rice's defection from Christianity, and I, I I'm noticing that the media is really kind of picking up on the fact that she, Anne Rice didn't quote defect from just any kind of Christianity. She defected from Catholicism. Uh, she was a practicing Roman Catholic. 
And uh, and so uh, I don't know if I'm going to uh, be able to get to this piece or not today, but maybe tomorrow or the next day, depending. By the way, tomorrow, <laughs> talking. Uh, let me let me switch gears. Talk about sermon review. T- today's sermon review is uh, is not a good one. It's by Doctor Terry Christ of the uh, City of Grace Church in Mesa, Arizona. The name of it is Where Have All the Heroes Gone? That'll be our sermon review today. And just by way of telling you, tomorrow. We will have a good sermon review by Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley, and uh, he's talking about vision in this uh, uh, sermon. And I think he's uh, reading from one of the texts in First uh, Samuel. So uh, I, I'm trying to do this from memory, but uh, anyway, so that tomorrow we'll have a good sermon review by by Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley. But today we have a an interesting one. This is a Dr. Terry Christ. Is a is a pastor who is uh, kind of adopting some of the seeker driven methods, and again, these seeker driven guys constantly, I think, falsely assure people in the church that they're not changing the biblical message, but they're only changing the methods. No, I'm convinced these guys are absolutely changing the message, and that the message we're hearing from them is not. The uh, biblical gospel. It's not the timeless message of repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. And so when we listen to Dr. Christ's sermon today on where have all the heroes gone, apparently this is a sermon that kicks off a series that's supposed to be an expository summer-long series in the book of Acts. And... um, it, let's just say it doesn't start off well, but we won't be listening to the entire sermon series like we listened to three or four of uh, the Domination series from uh, Church by the Glades last week. So anyway, that's what we're going to cover today. Lots of ground to cover. It's going to be, by the way, here in uh, <clears throat> central Indiana, we are expecting some pretty warm temperatures. <laughs> yeah, the next few days. Uh, they're telling us, don't go outside. I mean, I, if, if you've ever wanted to experience what it's like to be broiled alive, um, uh, head outside at, at, uh, tomorrow and Wednesday. If you live anywhere near central Indiana, we're supposed to have a heat index of like 110 degrees. It's going to be like high 90s with really high humidity. So if you want to know what it feels like to be broiled alive, just head outside of the Midwest, which means that fuzzy bunny slippers are not advisable for those of you living in the Midwest tomorrow. So uh, (laughs) with that, uh, make yourself comfortable. If you have an opportunity to kick up your feet, please do so. And of course, we don't have a problem if you want to enjoy an adult beverage. This is a gift from God. However, the restriction is drunkenness. Don't take it to that line. That's plain and simple on that one. Okay, with that, we're going to dive into the program proper, which means um, we need this. Fractured fairy tales. That's and when we hear prophecies from the Patricia King Extreme Prophetic Gang, these are just fairy tales. This is not biblical prophecy or prophecy that has its origin in the mind of God. Today we're going to be listening to a gentleman by the name of Rob DeLuca of Rob DeLuca Ministries. Um, um, here's his prophecy regarding the fire carriers. And, you know, when I hear uh, guys from the Extreme Prophetic Gang making prophecies that somehow involve fire, I I always wonder when I'm listening to these types of prophecies if this isn't some kind of satanic double entendre. You know, here he's talking about there's going to be people who who have fire 
in you know and it's it makes me think oh yeah satan's got you already bound up and uh, you're going to have fire all right it just uh, that's where my mind goes when i hear these kinds of things but anyway here's <clears throat> rob deluca and his prophecy on the fire carriers i really believe that uh what god is about to do in the earth is going to be one of the greatest moves of god in the history of mankind Really, and where did you get this information, Rob? Please tell me. You said you think. Oh, that means that maybe this prophecy doesn't really have its origin in the Holy Spirit, but really somewhere in your stomach. I believe that the church is about to change in such a way where the glory of God is going to be demonstrated in such a magnificent move that the world's never, ever seen anything like it. I really believe that we are going to see the glory of God like no other generation has seen. I really believe. I really believe. Really? I mean, is this like a weather forecast? We have like a 50%, we have a 60% chance of miracles today. And, uh, and the 30% chance of these miracles that you're going to see are not like any other miracles you've ever seen. And uh, tomorrow with Sunny with a chance of meatballs. I believe that we're going to see some of the greatest signs and wonders since the beginning of creation. And I believe that you're just making all this stuff up. Really, I'm, Why on earth should I believe that this is really going to happen? Just because you said so? You think God's up to there? Go, oh, man, that Rob DeLuca guy, I, I liked what he prophesied. I, I'm going to back that up and make it happen. I believe that we are going to see... God answer from on high the prayers of his people. There's some woman in the background laughing. I believe that the bride is going to be so intoxicated in love, so full of joy, so on fire that the people of the earth have never, ever seen what they're about to see with you and I. I, I, why again should I believe this? Where is this written in God's word? Um, I don't see this in the writings of the apostles in the doctrine taught by the apostles, which by the way, they didn't have their own doctrine. They taught the doctrine of Christ, the things that they witnessed. Um, I'm glad you believe all these things. I mean, it sounds so hopeful, so exciting. Um, but it really sounds to me like you're preaching your own delusions here this is a prophecy of your own making not from god with you and i and with the rest of the church i really believe that i really believe that there is going to be a mighty army of people that carry the fire of god like the earth has never ever seen so you, you know, there's a mighty army of fire carriers coming. I believe that there is going to be a fire that goes before them, a, a flame that burns after them, and they're going to be mighty in the earth, and they're going to siege cities. They're going to siege cities. What does that even mean? So we got people who are experiencing some kind of spiritual spontaneous combustion 
who have fire that goes before them and fire that comes after them, and they're going to march out and they're going to lay siege to cities. Are they going to set up like you know ramparts and you know uh, what exactly are you talking about here? I mean, this doesn't even make any sense. Why should I believe that you're speaking on behalf of God again? They're going to take villages. They're going to take towns. I'm sure the media is just going to eat this up. Yeah, you can just see this being covered on, you know, like the in the liberal media in the Huffington Post. A group of flaming conservative insurgents and religionists take village. Um, every marketplace, every nation is going to be impacted by the fire carriers. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Anyone want to bet five bucks this doesn't come true? They're going to be the burning ones. Oh, man, the burning ones, the fire carriers. I mean, will an antacid take care of this? They're going to be the ones that are set ablaze and the, the, the fire of God emanates out of them so strong that you cannot but know that there is a God. Again, the description here doesn't remind me of the Holy Spirit and power. It kind of reminds me of hell. You cannot but resist because anything that gets in the presence of the holy fire of the temple carriers. Whoo! What? (laughs) Their hearts are going to melt. Sounds painful. Anything that gets in the way, sin's going to be burned up. So if anything gets in the way, sin will be burned up. I thought sin was taken care of by deaths, by Christ's death on the cross. So these fire carriers are going to burn up sin when Jesus is the one who's already atoned and propitiated them. Sickness and disease is going to be annihilated and destroyed by the fire of God. Really? Sickness and disease is destroyed and annihilated by the fire of God prior to Christ's return even. Wow. We're going to see... Even death itself be removed because of the power of the fire and the resurrection glory. So death itself is going to be removed. I mean, don't, correct me if I'm wrong here, but doesn't it sound like that these last bits of things are the things that are promised for humanity, for those who believe in Christ after he returns? No more death, no more sickness, no more disease. He'll wipe away every tear from um, our eyes. I mean, when Christ returns, I mean, he's going to set everything right. New heavens, new earth. I mean, what this guy is sounding like here is he's trying to make it sound like, you know, when, you know, that these fire carriers are going to basically inaugurate this new heaven and new earth kind of thing. I don't think this is true. I really believe that. I really believe that there will be a people that are raised up that prophesy And when they prophesy, thus says the Lord, it shall come into the earth. Unlike you. I really believe that we will prophesy to territories. We will prophesy. You're going to prophesy to a territory. Would that be like um, Puerto Rico? That's a U.S. territory. To regions. We will prophesy to cities. We will prophesy to world leaders. We will prophesy to nations. And when the word of the Lord is executed, the word of the Lord shall come to pass and it shall change nations. It shall change people groups. Yeah, here's the obligatory yelling part that makes it sound like, I mean, the Holy Spirit has apparently fallen because he's raised his voice. 
I'm not buying any of this. Not one bit of it. There's no reason I should believe any of this. It's completely convoluted, and God's Word already talks about a lot of this stuff, and it doesn't tie it to fire carriers. It, tie, it ties it to Christ's return. It shall change the way that... Where's, the, where's repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name? The church has got a job to do. Not talking about or worrying about some kind of fictitious fire carriers that are supposed to come and lay siege to cities and burn up sin. Uh, no, we're supposed to be proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. That's what we're called to do, not uh, occupy ourselves with fire carriers. The history of the earth is being recorded. <laughs> this guy doesn't even know what he's talking about. <laughs> Do you believe that? No, not at all. I believe that there are those that are called in this generation that are that are the ones that God has said, these are the end time prophets. These are the ones that will carry out my mandate. These are the ones that will carry out the harvest. These ones will speak my words. Thus saith God, and God himself will show up on the scene, and God will answer from on high, and what they say, what they declare, what they decree shall come into the earth. And it will not be prolonged. Seasons of prolonged time will be shortened because of what God is doing in this hour. The end is coming. Uh, notice he's not actually preaching God's word. Um, I don't know what he's preaching. I don't know where he got this from. I mean, it's coming. Not from God. Soon, And God is on a timetable. And God is in a hurry. And God wants to move quickly. And all we have to do is line up with him. All we have to do. Oh, and all we have to do is line up with him. All we have to do is all we have. Law. This is law preaching. Got it. Yeah, this isn't the gospel at all. This seals the deal. There's no way in Hades this is from God. Say yes. All we have to do is step out in faith. Step out on the water and believe God and he will back you up. And all we have to do is step out. Take the risk. Do not fear any devil. Do not fear any man. Do not fear any religious power. And step out in faith and believe God and he will bring it to pass. Somebody say amen. Nope. How many people do we have on fire here? Come on, there are fire carriers in this house. There are burning ones right here, right now. Oh, they're there, yeah, okay. You might want to get an extinguisher. I don't know if the fire marshal would appreciate them being there. I'm prophesying to the ones that will prophesy. No, you're not. Hallelujah. Freaky. <clears throat> See, that's the thing. These, this guy is, what you heard in this little five-minute clip from Rob DeLuca Ministries has nothing to do with the God of the Bible. Nothing whatsoever. I mean, he claims that this is supposedly Christian. But he's basically prophesying his... It's his what's in his stomach. It's it's in his own mind, his own dreams. They, they, it, he's not connected to Christ at all. And you and folks, this is an example of a false prophet. We're not called to listen to these guys and go, oh wow, we've got a prophecy. Look at wow. No, no, we're to test him. 
and what he said doesn't even remotely come close to squaring with the word of God. He's a false prophet. He's to be rejected and put out of the church. And unfortunately, there's people around the world who apparently think that Rob DeLuca speaks for God. He doesn't. And unfortunately, he's got a very rude awakening coming if he doesn't repent of this nonsense and be forgiven for his false prophecies and his false doctrine. And those who are following him are in danger of be truly becoming fire carriers. But the problem is it'll be an eternal fire carrying that they're going to be doing and it will not be a pleasant experience it will be the torments of hell for eternity that's what's at stake here if you know people who listen to men like rob deluca and patricia king and todd bentley get them out of these guys's visions and get them back into the scripture and call them to repentance and the forgiveness of sins in jesus name this stuff is just crazy talk and unfortunately far more people then I care to even acknowledge are caught up in this kind of stuff and think that it's real biblical Christianity. And unfortunately, they are truly, truly deceived. Our prayers go out to men like Rob DeLuca and those whom he's trapped with his false prophecies and his false teaching. Okay, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Christianity, we need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> It's a visual age, and the old Bible is impractical and irrelevant, but that shouldn't hamper your spiritual growth. If you're tired of all those words like atonement, sin, justification, and all that deep stuff about God, look no further. Announcing the Massage, a new Bible version that puts you and your personal needs central. Written in a style familiar to readers of the National Enquirer, the massage concentrates on making you feel good rather than filling your head with all those doctrines that clutter the older Bibles and disrupt unity. So if you've lost that loving feeling, pick up your copy of the massage today. It's available at your local Jesus and Me stores and at airport terminals worldwide.
Dr. Rod Rosenblatt discussing the church's need for world-class scholarship and the unique way in which the British academic model offered at the Wittenberg Institute can help provide you with a top-level postgraduate theological degree. Christians are dependent on good scholarship in a way that sometimes we forget. Think of Tyndall House in England. Some of those evangelicals were so ruled away from the big table conversation in the Church of England that they had to develop graduate training under particular guys who had a high view of Christ and a high view of Scripture. Over the years, they did marvelous stuff with individual young scholars who came there to be trained. So what's the difference between the European model and the American model? The European is used to saying things like, I studied under so-and-so. And the American, uh, that's pretty foreign. And I'm not here talking about the diploma mills. I'm talking about somebody who is tutored, something like Oxford or at Cambridge, and uh, walked through graduate work. If you would like more information about the Wittenberg Institute's British-styled research master's degree, then visit them on the web at wittenberginstitute.org forward slash PCR or call them at area code 425-533-8659. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code and then click on the banner and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Warning, just because somebody claims to be a prophet doesn't mean that they're a true prophet. Jesus warned us about false prophets and false Christs. Got to test, always test, against the Word of God. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the uh, ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith, which is heard around the world now, and uh, Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. You know, it always saddens me when I see people listening to 
guys who are patently lying to them, that are not telling them what the Bible really says, making stuff up about God, and all in the name of, oh, well, we believe in spiritual gifts or whatever, and they're just deceived. And you know, you realize that spiritual bondage is really, truly a form of slavery, and that the light of the gospel needs to shine into situations like that and set these people free. But the, the, the light of the gospel is not going to shine all by itself. That means we as Christians are sent to go and proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, to open up the scripture and show them why this stuff isn't biblical, why this man is not speaking for God, that what he's doing is actually working as an agent of the devil and basically masquerading as a, as a, as a wolf in sheep's clothing. But that wasn't biblical Christianity that we heard. That wasn't a true prophecy from God the Holy Spirit. That was just the ravings of, well, a con con artist. That's what we're dealing with here. Okay, moving along here. From the uh, Christian Post, the headline reads, Christians gather in D.C. to submit America to God. You know, uh, this is by Michelle Vu of the Christian Post. And, you know, I read stories like this by people who are well-meaning Christians who really are looking for answers. They truly look at what's happening in the United States and across the world, and they're perplexed by it. They're depressed by it. They're they're concerned about it. And uh, this is an example of uh, of missing the point of Scripture here. And here we've got a passage that constantly gets being that gets quoted, especially on the quote the National Day of Prayer. Although I doubt if there's going to be any more National Days of Prayer, there'll be days of prayer that are recognized by churches nationally, but it's not a national holiday or nationally recognized event anymore. But uh, this is an example of I think of missing the point of and kind of missing what's really going on in Second Chronicles chapter seven verse fourteen. So let me read this article: uh, Christians gather in D.C. to submit America to God. Like we can do that. Uh, Washington: um, A small but energetic crowd gathered at Lafayette Park across from the White House on Friday to pray for America to return to God. The passionate prayers which many times appeared more like preaching, drew hallelujahs, yes, lords, and hand-waving from the crowd. Participants of the D.C. Pray for America gathering organized by www.praylive.com came from as far away as California and as close as Maryland. Quote, We are doing this because America is in desperate need of prayer, said Wenda Royster, a co-founder of uh, PrayLive.com, quote, We have such disrespect for God in this nation today. We are praying to we are praying to Second Chronicles seven fourteen. We are coming back to God, a place where we know we can get results. We can't get results anywhere else but looking to God. That is why we are here. So uh, Wenda Royster co-founder of PrayLive.com, which I think is an online uh, radio station, um, they are um, there to get results. They're praying, they are praying 2 Chronicles 7.14, which, by the way, reads, out of context, if I should point this out, 2 Chronicles 7.14, mid-sentence, picks up, begins, it says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways... Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. 
which leads to the obvious question, who are the people here referred to? It says, if my people, this is God speaking, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, seek my face, and I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. More on this in a second here. So uh, Wendell Royster says, we are coming back to God, a place where we know we can get results we can't get results anywhere else but looking to God. That is why we're here. So more than a dozen pastors and intercessors led prayers at the gathering. A theme that ran across several different prayers was bringing prayer back to school. Several of the prayer leaders called on God to bless America's children and raise up an excellent new generation. They also prayed for God to give wisdom to members of Congress and to the president Quote, in your mighty name, release your strategies to the president and our congressmen and women so that they would lead this country faithfully, prayed the Reverend Jacqueline Reeves of Spoken Word Ministry in New Jersey. She's a pastrix. Quote, give our leaders wisdom to lead this nation for the glory of God. Hallelujah. Quote, I submit this country into your hands, she declared. Quote, we give America to you, Lord, and we pray that your people will seek your face 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Yeah, that, that, this is like way off the mark here. So the prayers were focused on spiritual revival in America without wading too deeply into controversial issues such as abortion and homosexuality. There were brief prayers for God to deliver the youth from drug addiction and from sexual promiscuity. Uh, Royster mentioned same-sex marriage while talking to the Christian Post about the need for the event. So here we've got all of this stuff going on, these people supposedly submitting America to God. This is an example of mission creep, okay? You've heard of mission creep. If you've ever spent, if you've spent any time in corporate America, uh, that and you've worked for a company that works off of projects, you know, you have to, you know, you have a project that you've got to do, and there's there's a team of people that are required to fulfilling the project, and it's to help move the company forward, that kind of stuff. Well, um, the mission creep occurs when the original mission of the pro, uh, the pro, the mission's project starts to expand and include things that it shouldn't be including um and and as a result of it uh, what happens is is that the the project never really gets accomplished and what they produce doesn't really help the organization at all i think that's an example of what's going on here this is mission creep that we're seeing here and as well-meaning as Pastrick's uh, Jacqueline Reeves is, um, and as zealous as she is, and as you know, as as uh, commendable as her goals are, this is not how it's accomplished by quote submitting America to God. Um, I mean, if that were the case, then don't you think the apostles would have done that with the Roman Empire? You know, right out of the shoot, you would have had James and John and Peter and uh, the newly converted apostle Paul. All gathering together at, at, at the state at the steps of uh, Caesar's palace, not in Las Vegas, but in, in Rome, and submitting Rome to God, right? And, and that would have made the difference. They, they, but that's not what they did. No, they did what Jesus told them to do. Jesus said, "Go and proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name." 
which leads to the um, um, the Second Chronicles chapter seven fourteen. By the way, you can't submit the U.S. to God. That's ridiculous. Um, uh, this is the, nowhere in the Bible does it say such a thing. But uh, remember our three rules for biblical interpretation: context, context, and context. Well, let's take a look at Second Chronicles chapter seven. I'll begin at verse one. And listen in. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Now, what does this tell you about the context here of Second Chronicles chapter seven? What this, what's recorded in Second Chronicles chapter seven, is the dedication of the temple that was built by Solomon. David basically built up the supplies for, you know, in the building materials during his lifetime because God didn't want him to build the temple. And Solomon then actually took the, these things and turned and basically hired the workers and put them to work and in the construction crew and they built the temple. That's why it was called Solomon's Temple. Okay. So at the consecration of the temple, this was to replace the, the tabernacle, which was you know, several hundred years old by this time. And, and, uh, you know, and to give, you know, it was kind of David's idea to, you know, to give the, you know, the uh, Ark of the Covenant and God's presence, you know, some really magnificent building rather than a tent, uh, uh, you know, in the wilderness, you know, for him to dwell. And so this is what's happening. Temple is built, it's completed, it's consecrated, and there were sacrifices that were part of it. So that's where we pick up. So as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement, and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Sounds like a psalm, doesn't it? Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. King Solomon offered as a sacrifice 22,000 oxen. I wonder how long that would take. And 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the people dedicated the house of God. The priests stood at their post. The Levites also with the instruments for music to the Lord that King David had made for giving thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Oh, great. Oh, that's right. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. This is great worship. Whenever David offered praises by the ministry opposite them, the priests sounded trumpets and, and all Israel stood. Solomon consecrated the middle of the court that was before the house of the Lord. For there he offered the burnt offering and the fat of the peace offering because the bronze altar Solomon had made could not hold the burnt offering and the grain offering and the fat. At that time, Solomon held the feast for seven days and all of Israel with him, a very great assembly from Lebo Hamath to the brook of Egypt. And on the eighth day, they held a solemn assembly for they had kept the dedication of the altar for seven days and the feast for seven days. On the 23rd day of the seventh month, he sent the people away to their homes and joyfully and glad of heart for the prosperity that the Lord had granted to David and to Solomon and to Israel and his people. So in the context of this, when it's referring to his people, it's God's chosen people, Israel. 
It's not just it's not the United States. The United States is not is not God's chosen people. So this is in in context here one of the things you get out of this is that we're talking about God's chosen people Israel, the nation that God chose for himself for the express purpose of his Messiah to be born and to bless the nations, the seed of Abraham. Okay? So, I mean, that's really the function that uh, Israel serves. We continue. Okay, all right, so David, okay. Now, the next, thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house, he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him. So this is an appearance by Yahweh himself to Solomon. Okay, the Lord says, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. Okay, remember I said 2 Chronicles 7.14 is is quoted out of context because it begins mid-sentence. Okay. This is, when you put it back in context, here's what it says. The Lord is speaking to Solomon, and he says, When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or I send pestilence among my people, okay, why would God do that? Why would God shut up the heavens so that there's no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people? The answer to the question is, is if God's covenant people, Israel, rebel against God and whore after other gods and uh, break his commandments and don't keep his law, then God's law says that God will then execute the, um, well, the negative aspects of the covenant, and he will shut up the the clouds so that there is no rain he will send pestilence and uh, or, or locusts to devour the land so this when people quote second chronicles 7:14 on the national day of prayer which is like a tradition nowadays they're forgetting this there's an if then clause going on here okay and the, the, this is specific to the people of Israel so it, it says if it says when i shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among the people. If that happens, what do you do? If my people, Israel, who are called by my name, humble themselves, that means confess their sins, humble themselves, turn from their idols and from their wickedness, and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Repentance and the forgiveness of sins. So when people quote Second Chronicles 7.14 out of context, they make it say something it doesn't say. This isn't something that applies to the United States. This was something spoken by God regarding his covenant people Israel. But it points us to the repentance and forgiveness of sins won by Christ on the cross. Because the temple is a place of sacrifice, and the sacrifices are for the forgiveness of sins. And the for, and those animals really don't 
our sins are not their sins were not forgiven by them, but those pointed to the once and for all sacrifice of Christ. Who, by the way, was crucified for our sins on the very mountain in which the temple stands. So when when well-meaning people come together to submit America to God and humble themselves for God, they're missing the whole point, and they're misapplying 2 Chronicles 7.14. What we need to do in the United States is not pray 2 Chronicles 7.14, but to obey Christ's command in Luke chapter 24, 45, 46, 47, to go and proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name to all nations, not just the chosen people of Israel here, but to all nations, then God will hear their prayer and forgive their sins. You see, <sighs> mission creep. Even Second Chronicles 7.14 points us to Christ and him crucified for our sins. We're not called to submit America to God. We're called to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name and let God the Holy Spirit do the converting. Okay, last story before the break here today. We'll save the congregation's gone wild in the Anne Rice thing for tomorrow. Uh, this is from USA Today, and the headline reads, Why Do We Need Religion? by Oliver Thomas. And I want you to listen carefully to, apparently, why we need religion. Uh, quite frankly, I don't personally care for this kind of religion, nor do I really need it, because this isn't biblical Christianity. But look. Uh, let me let me read the uh, story. Why religion? Well, in the face of pogroms and pedophiles, crusades and cover-ups, why indeed? Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's a great question. I mean, much of what we get in religion is just scandalous, isn't it? Religious Americans have answered the question variously. Worship is one answer. Millions gather each week to acknowledge their higher power. <clears throat> the chance to experience community is another Healthy congregations are more than civic clubs. They are surrogate families. The opportunity to serve others also comes to mind. Americans feed the hungry, clothe the naked, and house the homeless largely through religious organizations. Yet as important as community, worship, and service are, I'm convinced that religious uh, religion's greatest contribution to society is even greater. Mm, really? Okay. Religion's, uh, religion makes us want to live. That, that's all you got? So the so why religion? It's so well, many give examples. They can, you can, well, when you join a religion, you have a surrogate family. You have the opportunity to serve others, you know, tackle homelessness. Um, but the even greater thing is, why should we have religion? Well, religion makes us want to live. I can know, funny enough, um, when I was steeped in self-righteous legalistic pietism, religion didn't make me want to live. It actually brought me to the brink of actually wanting to die. <clears throat> but I continue. Uh, Victor Frankl's uh, revealing research in the Nazi death camp at Auschwitz led him to a startling conclusion. It was not the youngest, strongest, or even the smartest inmates who tended to survive. It was those who had found meaning in their lives. People, it turns out, need a reason to live. For Frankel, that meaning wasn't necessarily religious, although one could argue that anything that deals with a person's deepest concerns is, in a sense, spiritual. Maslow's hierarchy of needs is spiritual? 
What Frankel was talking about could be found in deeds, in the handful of individuals who shared their meager rations with others and went about encouraging their fellow prisoners, but meaning could also be found in attitudes, particularly in the ability to face suffering with dignity and grace. As Frankel expressed it, quote, Man is that being who invented the gas chamber of Auschwitz. However, he is also that being who entered those gas chambers upright with the Lord's Prayer or the Shema Israel on his lips. Okay. Man's search for meaning, whether in a Broadway penthouse or the darkest corner of hell, is the most basic building block of a successful life. Without a sense of purpose, many people will simply shrivel up and die whether figuratively or in some sense literally. This to me sounds like the gospel of the purpose-driven life. Um, okay. I suspect that in postmodern America, we ne- uh, the need for meaning is as great as ever. While our ancestors were too busy fighting off starvation or worry about such things as self-actualization, today's Americans live lives of relative ease, higher education, Uh, A shorter work week and regular vacations have enriched our lives, but have also provided abundant opportunity to consider whether our lives have meaning and purpose. The result isn't all that encouraging. Millions suffer from depression. Millions more escape their lives through drugs and alcohol. Far too many give up the struggle altogether and commit suicide. Alas, many of us have discovered purpose for our lives through religion. Inside America's churches, synagogues, temples, mosques, and ashrams, We wrestle with the great question of life, and with due respect to my atheist and left-leaning friends, most of those questions are not amenable to the scientific method. Why are we here? What does it all mean? How should we then live? These are the things that matter the most, not whether Pluto is a real planet or the atomic weight of carbon is 12 or 13. Even Nietzsche recognized that if one can answer the why of life, he can cope with most any hows. Frankel came away from Auschwitz convinced that there are two basic types of people, decent ones and indecent ones. Some are stronger in their... Oh, man, this is just ridiculous. I'm reading this thing. So this is all you've got. Why do we need religion so that we can have a purpose in life? doesn't matter which higher being. No, 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 just any religion that gives you a purpose. This... this isn't this what haven't we already done this? It was called the purpose driven life, and now there's purpose driven churches all over the place, and there's even purpose driven mosques and purpose driven synagogues, and all everybody apparently claims to have a purpose and they want to live. Folks, um Christianity um in 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 a very real way does give you a purpose. It explains the whys and the hows and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, it deals with a more important question. What happens when you die and you stand before a just God? In in a far more profound uh, way, Christianity deals with the tougher issue. Not just how shall we live, what's the meaning of my life, but what am I going to do when I stand before a holy and just God who demands that I give an accounting for every misstep every misdeed every false word every sin that i've committed against his holy law it doesn't just give me a reason to live it it makes me understand that i have no right 
to life, liberty, or pursuit of happiness because I am a sinner who's transgressed God's law. What uh, Oliver Thomas here is offering, why do we need religion? He's offering moralistic, therapeutic deism. Pick the God. It doesn't matter which God. But, you know, moralistic therapy. I mean, you you need a reason to live. And uh, and uh, what does it all mean? And, you know, answering the big questions. It doesn't Just pick a religion. It doesn't matter. No, it does matter. Because there's only one true God. And that one true God claims that worship to the false deities in the other religions is idolatry and earns you hell. And he calls us to repent of that idolatry and to worship and serve the one true God. Why do we need religion? I don't need this religion. I need the one true God, and I need forgiveness of sins, and I need the righteousness of Christ clothing me. That's what biblical Christianity offers. Now, as far as the reason for living and answers to the question, those are all secondary. Yes, those are offered by Christianity, but that's not the focus. It's not the focus at all. You can, you, know, you can have religion, which will give you a purpose, or you can have the one true God. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. You can follow me on Twitter, my name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Sermon review you know, about heroes. Oh, brother. Something to do with Oliver Thomas, I think. We'll be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough. Of the sissy, frenzy, turning photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Rosebro here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner and then book your travel today. 
Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Are you tired of giving gifts that are as boring as elevator music? I mean, how many ties and dust-collecting paperweights does a person need? Well, Pirate Christian Radio has the perfect solution to boring gifts. The answer is Cloud9 Living. Cloud9 Living offers more than 1,600 unique and memorable experience gifts in 42 cities nationwide. Gifts such as hot air balloon rides, dinner cruises, stock car racing, skydiving, and combat aircraft dogfighting. Cloud9 Living has gifts for every taste and every budget. For more information on Cloud9 Living, visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cloud9. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cloud9. You'll be glad that you did. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Sermon review time. I thought this would be an appropriate sermon to review today in light of the stories that we covered in hour number one. Why do we need religion? Well, my question after hearing this sermon is why do we need this religion that's being promoted? Uh, Let's uh, cue up the music here and move along. The good, the bad, and the ugly, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon uh, comes to us via City of Grace Church in Mesa, Arizona. Dr. Terry Christ presiding. The name of the sermon is, Where Have All the Heroes Gone? Now... Dr. Christ um, bills this particular sermon as the kickoff to a series on the book of Acts. And immediately my question is, um, who is this sermon really even about? Is it really about the story of the, in, that's found in the book of Acts? The reason I ask is because in the book of Acts, we have the really this incredible story of the apostles who go out and proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name to uh, Jews as well as pagan Romans and Greeks. And we read in the book of Acts this... I mean, amazing story that how God raises people from the dead spiritually and opens their mind and their eyes so that they can 
repent and believe the good news that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins and was raised again on the third day for their justification, crucified under Pontius Pilate, was buried dead and was raised again for their salvation. And so we read of how this gospel goes forward, this good news goes forward, and how the gospel is met with not only those who repent and believe, but is also met with persecution and martyrdom. Is that the story that uh, Dr. Christ has found in the book of Acts, or has he found something else? So without any further ado, uh, here is uh, Dr. Terry Christ, and the uh, sermon is, Where Have All the Heroes Gone? Great to see you on this uh, beautiful, beautiful Father's Day weekend. Which Now you notice this is a month and a half old. Which I, I personally believe that Father's Day is uh, the most important holiday of all. Uh, just, just saying, just going to put that out there. It's the most manliest day of the year, something like that. Anyhow, uh, great to have you here this weekend for one of our seven weekend services. And I'd like to ask you to join with me in giving a great big welcome to those who are joining us on the Internet or in one of our video services this weekend. God bless you. Great to have you with us. Now, now this is a church that bills itself as one church with two campuses. So they're doing the multi-site thing. So ask yourself this question. Is it a good thing that this church is doing multi-site? After hearing the sermon, you may not think so. Again, we are launching our summer sermon series, and we're calling it Heroes and Villains. And I'm really excited about this because throughout the majority of the year, we tend to teach topically. That is that we, uh, as a teaching team, uh, pray and we uh, have conversations and we study and we ask God to help us to dial in to some of the uh, messages that will help you to grow in your faith and grow in your relationships and grow as a fully formed follower of Jesus. And then we, throughout the year, teach those topics that we feel will help develop your spiritual life. But then we also take the summertime to just tackle a book of the Bible and go through it verse by verse and chapter by chapter and just let the subjects found there frame and form each of us. So that's what we're going to begin today as we study the book of Acts. And it is going to be an action-packed summer as we grow in our faith and we uh, become uh, more of the people, more who God created us to be. So I'm really excited about it, and I want to encourage Okay, so uh, we'll give him props for the fact that he's not taking the summer off to preach on movies, but he's going to be preaching through the book of Acts. I mean, you got to give him props for that. But what was that exactly that he said there just a second ago? Let me back the tape up again and make sure we heard the hymn correctly. So that's what we're going to begin today as we study the book of Acts. And it is going to be an action-packed summer as we grow in our faith and we uh, become uh, more of the people, more who God created us to be. So I'm really excited. Okay, that should be a red flag. You're sitting there going, well, it sounds right-ish. That's the problem. It sounds right-ish. More of the people that God created us to be. This sermon, as you listen to it, you'll discover is very, very heavy on man-focused law. And I'm not even sure if the gospel makes a cameo appearance. It, it might at the very end 
But again, we, I won't play the gospel nugget sound unless we actually clearly hear the gospel proclaimed, Christ and him crucified for the forgiveness of our sins. But let's let's continue on. Uh, become uh, more of the people, more who God created us to be. So I'm really excited about it, and I want to encourage you to read the book of Acts. Pray through the book of Acts. In fact, next weekend, you're going to see a prayer guide in your bulletin. So take it out and take it with you. And just let's begin and continue this journey together toward becoming everything God has created us to be. So with that, let's get started with the big question this weekend. Who are your heroes? Okay, um. I should point out that uh, this being a seeker-driven type church, they're trying to be relevant. And the sermon graphic that they've come up with for this sermon series, Heroes and Villains, kind of looks like a 1920s black and white uh, Chicago mob kind of thing. Um, if we're if you're really preaching through the Book of Acts, this isn't about heroes and villains. This is about the proclamation of Christ and him crucified for our sins. So leading off a sermon series on the book of Acts with the question, who are your heroes? Well, um, that's an adventure in missing the point. Yeah, I just love doing that. It's heroes. So who are yours? Several years ago, George Gallup conducted a survey of teenagers between the ages of 13 and 17. And one of the shocking things that he discovered there was that 51% of the teenagers in the survey said, I don't know of any adult that I would like to model my life after. What a shame. What a tragedy. Can you imagine growing up without any role models? We all need heroes in life. In fact, I think. Okay, okay, just a quick question. Okay, could you imagine growing up without any role models? Okay. Now, granted, the lack of role models in this particular sense could potentially be construed and preached as a result of our fall, uh, uh, humanity's fall into sin and rebellion against God. So this, you know, if the fact that we don't have good role models is is a fruit of our sinfulness. Now that being said, um, it, it asks the question: Is the point that he's about to make is this something I could hear as a pep speech at the local boys and girls club or uh, at a big brother big sister meeting? Or is this the biblical gospel and I'm here am I or am I hearing Christ and him crucified for our sins greater impact on our lives than most of us even realize they give voice to our hopes and dreams they clarify our values they crystallize our purpose in life and to some degree heroes always remind us of what life should be about selflessness sacrifice, and noble behavior. That's why David said in Psalm 101 and verse 6, I will make the godly of the land my heroes. Can you say that with me? Read it from the screen together now. I will make the godly of the land my heroes. In his great book, You and Your Network, Fred Smith writes this. We cannot live fully without heroes. 
for they are the stars to guide us upward. Not only do they personify... I have no idea who Fred Smith is. Not only do they personify what we can be, but they also urge us to be. Heroes are those who have changed history for the better. Their deeds are done not for the honor, but for the duty. Through our study of heroes, we enter the realities of greatness. I think he's right. Heroes are the personification of our ideals, the embodiment of our highest values. And a society always defines its purpose by naming its heroes. You look at those that we put up in our nation, those that we put on a pedestal, those that we seek to emulate, and they say as much about us as their actions do about themselves. Heroes send a message to us about who we all long to be in life. My brother-in-law is a medical doctor. He graduated from Creighton as a pharmacist, went back to uh, medical school. He's a very active part of our congregation here and has a very successful medical practice as a family doctor right here in Scottsdale. But for many years, he served as a doctor in the Mayo Clinic. Now, securing a position in the Mayo Clinic is a fairly rigorous process because they have so many candidates who are educated and motivated and talented and accomplished in their respective fields. So back in the 1960s, I've read, they tried to define a number of ways to distinguish their future doctors from the rest of the field. Finally, after much trial and error, Dr. James C. Kane came up with one question that helped them to distinguish between the good and the great. What was the question? Tell me who your heroes are. Because he said, our heroes have a lot to say about our values and our character. So they begin to refine their process of selection through asking their doctors to define their heroes. And in doing so, they were defining who they aspired to become. Who are your heroes? Oh, boy. So uh, it says a lot about yourself. Now, is the problem sin, rebellion against God, God's wrath and justice against your sin, you facing an eternal hell because of your rebellion against God? Or is the problem that, you know, you, you, you need to live a, well, an upstanding life and, and, and basically embody the best characteristics and values of humanity? And uh, one of the ways in which you can do that practically is to pick better heroes for yourself. I, I just don't see the apostles preaching this in the book of Acts. Do you? We're probably in the process right now of mentally upgrading your heroes. Yeah. Did I get it right? Yeah, some of you right now just substituted Mother Teresa for Jerry Springer. Nelson Mandela for Captain Crunch. Some of you right now are in the process of thinking, I got to get some better heroes in life because I want to aspire to something greater. Now, on the other hand, there may be some here this weekend who would say, Terry, I don't have any heroes. That may say something significant about you. It may say that you haven't settled what's most important in life. Or maybe it's that you just have a problem with the world, word hero. Okay, so I'm supposed to feel guilty if I haven't figured out who my heroes are or I don't have good ones. 
if you have if you don't have heroes that you aspire to be like, is that a sin? Did Christ die on the cross for your lack of having good heroes? World word hero. Maybe you just kind of feel like, you know, I don't have any heroes because I'm not a sheep. And I don't want to put anybody on a pedestal because I want to be myself. I don't want to be like anyone else. I don't want to be a part of group think. So maybe you don't have any heroes for that reason. Maybe that's the case for you. I think one reason why people fail to acknowledge their heroes is because that oftentimes we tend to confuse celebrities with heroes and some of you certainly don't want to be a celebrity but there's a big difference between the two for example celebrities make a big splash heroes make a big difference in life celebrities are all about image and fame heroes are all about service and sacrifice Celebrities want to be served, but heroes are willing to serve others. And in today's 24-hour media cycle, it's pretty easy to become a celebrity. Oh, Do I need a crucified and risen Lord for this? Again, I just ask the question because I'm hearing morals without the cross. I'm hearing doing good without Jesus. Uh, there's this. This is not the gospel that raises me from the dead spiritually, and the Holy Spirit producing good fruit in my life in keeping with that repentance and the forgiveness of sins brought through the preaching of the gospel. Instead, I'm hearing brute force, stark naked moralism. Pull yourself up by your spiritual bootstraps, and uh, and get your spiritual act together and. Make some better decisions. Have some good heroes and, you know, do good. Here's the difference. I, Again, this could be probably preached in a Jewish synagogue. This may be uh, taught as a moral lesson in a, um, in a Muslim mosque. This sermon could be preached at, at a Mormon uh, steakhouse. S-T-A-K-E. Um, uh, this could be preached in a Jehovah's Witness uh, kingdom hall. I'm not hearing anything distinctively Christian at all in this sermon. To become a celebrity. All you have to do is sign up for the latest reality television program. And within a week, there will be thousands of people trying to emulate the life that you live, regardless of its quality. It's easy to become a celebrity these days, but not so easy to become a hero. A wise man once said, When small men cast long shadows, you know that the sun is setting on a culture. Wow. Uh, Yeah, that's not found in the Bible either. That that by the that's not in the Proverbs. That's not anywhere. I don't know where he got that from. Confucius, maybe a fortune cookie. I, I don't know. Necessarily heroism. It's narcissism. And even though we do live in a culture of celebrity worship, I believe God wants all of us to identify godly heroes so that we can define what matters most in life, not only for ourselves, but for our children. Can I get a big amen? That's why over the for what? What am I amening here? most in life, not only for ourselves, but for our children. Can I get a big amen? That's why over the next couple of months, we're going to study the book of Acts. I don't want to put forward any heroes from among us. 
are any heroes from contemporary culture, although there are some. There are some. Right here in this room today, I see extraordinary men who could be defined as kingdom heroes. I see exceptional women who could be defined as kingdom heroes. But I want to draw you back to a clear picture right here in the Bible as we study through the book of Acts. And my prayer is that our teaching team will present the book of Acts in such a way that you can find some new heroes, even if you don't have any. The book of Acts is filled with the stories of courageous men and women who lived exceptional lives. In I thought the book of Acts was a book filled with sinners who've been given repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, who went out and boldly proclaimed the good news of the forgiveness of sins won by Christ on the cross, and how Jesus and the Holy Spirit transformed people, raised them from the dead, and had them bear fruit in keeping with that repentance uh, as a result of the preaching of the gospel. So we're, we're now taking the book of Acts stripping out the biblical gospel and instead turning it into a hero a heroic character study that that completely misses the whole point of the book of acts um oh man uh hang on a second here i think maybe we should take a look at i mean since he doesn't seem to be in a hurry to get to the book of acts let me uh, read um, in the first book, O Theophilus, this is the Luke writing, he says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to preach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power... When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus says he's going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will give them power, and that they are to be his witnesses. They are to go and proclaim all that they have seen and all that Jesus taught and said. That's, I mean, it, it, that's what we have recorded in the Gospels, is it not? So, um, so this is the story, not of heroes, but of the going forth of that message of the apostles, the sent ones, going and proclaiming all that Jesus said and all that Jesus did, um, and they are witnesses to the things that they are reporting on. This is the going forth of the good news. Um, not hearing this uh, from Dr. Christ. Men and women who lived exceptional lives. In fact, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 11:28 that many of them lived so extraordinarily that the world was not worthy to contain them. Wow. Can you imagine living that kind of life? 
A life of such character? A life of such selflessness and sacrifice? Have you read the book of Acts? The apostles are not presented as selfless moral examples. They are set forth as sinners with some very serious problems who go and proclaim the good news of the forgiveness of sins. Back at what you had done, what they said about you was that they were so noble in their behavior that the world was not worthy to contain them. And yet that's what the Bible says about some of these characters, heroes that we're going to study like Peter. Peter, the follower of Jesus, who loved Jesus and and blew it horribly in the final days of Jesus' time on earth leading up to the crucifixion. And yet on the other side of that, he found a place of recovery, a place of redemption, a place of restoration so deep and meaningful that he stood on the day of Pentecost and gave testimony of Jesus so powerfully that 3,000 people came to Christ in a single day. That was Peter. Then there was John. Um, that wasn't as a oh man. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. He proclaimed the gospel, and God is the one who brought those people to repentance, not Peter. And gave testimony of Jesus so powerfully that three thousand people came to Christ in a single day. That was Peter. Then there was John. John, who modeled the love of Jesus so passionately. That it is said in the last of his days when they brought him into the pulpit as an old man, as an elderly apostle, that the last thing he said was, do not forget to love one another. It was the driving passion of his life in being changed by Jesus. He wanted others to know the love that had changed him. And then there was Stephen, the first martyr of the church. There was Saul who held the coats of those who murdered him. Saul, the religious zealot who went about imprisoning Christ followers who worshiped Jesus. He, he executed them. He did his best to eradicate them. But in the process of this zeal, this, this, this driving force to stamp out the life of the church, he met Jesus and his life was powerfully changed and he became the great apostle Paul. It was Barnabas, the encourager. There was Cornelius, the Italian soldier who opened the door for non-Jews to know Jesus. And by the way, Cornelius didn't open the door. The Holy Spirit did. Did you Have you read Acts 10? Get it. Amen from the girls. Yeah. Amen. Come on, give me a big amen, girls. In fact, in the early service, somebody shouted out, right over here in this auto, the, uh, side of the auditorium, somebody shouted out right in the middle of my message, don't forget the sheroes. And I thought, okay. It's a great word. The book of Acts is filled with sheroes, heroines, if you will, like Lydia. Lydia, the businesswoman who financed the expansion of the church. And Dorcas, a woman who excelled in good works. In fact, she did so many good works for Jesus that after she died, God actually raised her back to life through the ministry of Peter because she had more work to do. Can you imagine God loving what you do so much that he won't let you die? I need you here, he says. 
And so, miraculously, she was raised to life. There was Priscilla, who served apostolically alongside of her husband. There were the four daughters of Philip, who prophesied the word of the Lord to their generation. It's not just a guy thing. The book of Acts is filled with heroes and sheroes, heroes and heroines. It's a kingdom thing. A kingdom thing. I thought it was a gospel thing. A kingdom thing. A kingdom thing. And then there was the writer of the book of Acts. You know, in one sense, he's kind of one of the supporting cast members. And although we read nothing of substance about him in the book of Acts, he takes great painstaking care to chronicle these events for us in this pivotal moment of the development of the church. He wants to get it right. And he does. And the reason he wants to get it right is because the book of Acts is not just a record of their behavior. It's an invitation to become. It's God saying, lean in and let me show you what I plan for all kingdom people. Lean in and let me show you what I have for all kingdom people. I feel uh, some itching ears about ready to be scratched here, some egos to be stroked, and incorrectly and unbiblically too. What I've destined for your life, watch what they did, and in doing so, discover what you can do. The book of Acts is not just an historical document. It is a divine invitation to become the people God has created us to be. Wow. Um, yeah. Um, hmm. You can be a hero, too. That's what Christianity is all about. And see, the book of Acts is just kind of like the blueprint. See, well, look what they did. You can do that, too. You can be a hero. Be. So he wants to get it right. His name is Luke. He too is a medical doctor. Medical doctors in the first century did not enter the position, the profession for power or prestige or wealth. They entered the profession and became physicians for one reason. They wanted to help hurting people. It was Luke. Luke the physician who left all to follow Jesus because he saw that he had the Potential there to help people, not just physically, but to help people with their struggles concerning the more meaningful issues of life and eternity. So, so Luke leaves everything behind and he follows Jesus and then he writes the gospel that bears his name. But not only the gospel of Luke, he writes the book of Acts. And I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but interestingly, he addresses both of his letters to the same individual, Theophilus. Would you say that with me? Let's say it together. One, two, three. Try it again. Theophilus. Theophilus. Luke chapter 1, watch this, and verse 1. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples, having, verse 3, carefully investigated everything from the beginning. Luke says, I also decided to write a careful account for you, most honorable Theophilus. He opens the, the book of Acts the same way. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In my first book, I told you, 
Theophilus about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Now, he's reading from the opening section to the book of Acts. Okay, we're finally into it. What does he do with this? He was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Again, written to Theophilus. So who is Theophilus? Wouldn't you like to know? I mean, of all of the unlikely heroes written about in the Scripture, he certainly is at the top of the list. I've never heard a sermon preached about Theophilus. I've been a pastor for 25 years. I've never preached a sermon about Theophilus. I've never seen a kid named Theophilus. And we tend to name our children after heroes. You know, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, there's David, there's, there's, there's Paul. I mean, we name them these great epic names. But have you ever met a kid named Theophilus? No. So who was Theophilus? Well, no one seems to know his true identity, but his name simply means the friend of God or loved by God. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Most serious Bible scholars believe that Theophilus was not an actual person. He was just a placeholder. It was Luke's way of saying, since I can't write all of your names, I'm just going to use friend of God to speak to all of you. I'm just going to use love by God to speak to all of you because ultimately I'm writing to each of you and to all of you. Theophilus represents us. This is Luke's way of communicating to us and inviting us into the dream that God has destined for us. And what? What? This is Luke's way of inviting us into the dream that, oh man, hang on. What did he just say? This represents us. This is Luke's way of communicating to us and inviting us into the dream that God has destined for us. So this is all about God inviting us into the dream that he has destined for us. This isn't about repentance and the forgiveness of sins, sorrow and contrition for your sin and rebellion against God. No, 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 no. God has some big dreams and big destiny, a big destiny planned for you. Yeah. So you need to, you know, come on over and, and love God so that you, you, so that God can whisper in your ear the big destiny that he's dreamed up and concocted for you that you don't even know. Are you hearing repentance? And the forgiveness of sins? No. This is pure ego stroking. I, I need to become a Christ follower so that I can I can hear God whisper my destiny in my ears, the big things that God has dreamed up for me. Yeah. Boy, I'm not a I, I'm not a sinner who needs to be saved. I, I'm just somebody who is destinyless. And Jesus is gonna help me discover and hear that destiny. No, that's not what this book is about at all. Those of you who are friends of God, those of you who are on this pursuit to know God and be known by God, those of you who are committed to experiencing God and believing in God, it's to you that Luke writes and Luke says, follow me on this journey because I want to show you your own potential here. No, 
Luke is not saying he wants to show you your potential. That's not in the text. That is pure ego-stroking, ear-scratching lies. The gospel is not about that at all. It's about an offended God whom you have transgressed his laws and have earned hell, and Christ dies a bloody and brutal death on the cross in your place for the forgiveness of your sins, and you are personally confronted with this gospel and called to repent of your wickedness and rebellion against God and to be forgiven. That's the good news. Now, it's not about human potential at all. To say that is to lie about this text. Now, as I look at the heroes in the book of Acts, friends of God, lovers of God, if you will, I find three common characteristics I want to quickly talk about before I wrap this up this weekend. Three things that relate to each and every one of us. Three signs of a kingdom hero. The first is simply this. A kingdom hero, a hero is someone with an uncommon courage to do the correct thing. Okay, this is moralism. A hero is somebody with the uncommon whatever to do the correct thing. This is moralism. This is do-goodism. A hero is someone with an uncommon courage to do the correct thing. Would you read that with me, number one, everybody together? A hero is someone with an uncommon courage to do the correct thing. See, the book of Acts shows us the value of doing the right thing, doing the righteous thing, even when it costs us. The Bible is filled with those examples. They did what was right before God. They did what was right before society. They did what was right before the, before the hurting and for the forgotten. They did what was right. They had this uncommon courage to do the correct thing, even when it cost them. I, I hope we'll... Be able to take the time, or one of our, our team teachers will take the time through this series this summer to walk us through the trail of tears, to walk us down the trail of blood that runs through the book of Acts and into the epistles because it's staggering. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. It cost them. It cost them deeply. It cost them dearly. It cost them profoundly to do the right thing. And we sit here today, 2,000 years later, not even calculating the cost, but wondering if we even know the correct thing. Maybe that's you this weekend. Maybe what you're wondering is not the cost. Maybe what you're wondering is, what is the correct thing in, 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 face, in the face of the battles that I'm fighting? What's the correct thing? We just kind of wrap it up for us. The right thing is always the way of honesty. It's always the way of integrity. It is always the way of purity. And no- Yes, it is. But what about those of us who don't always do the thing that's in the way of honesty and t- integrity? Is there any good news for us other than just try harder to do the right thing? It is always the way of purity and nobility and humility. And every single day of our lives, we are presented with opportunities to do the wrong thing. Whether it's in the classroom or the lunchroom. Or the boardroom. There will always be an easier path to take. There'll always be a shortcut. There'll always be the wrong thing. That's why Paul says in Romans 12 and verse 2, Do not model your behavior on the contemporary world. What does that mean? It means don't follow the easy path. Don't take your moral cues from the world around you. Don't do what society says. Don't take your values from what you see on television. 
Don't look to Jersey Shores for lessons on how to dress or how to behave or how to treat women. Don't look to television. Don't learn your... Okay, this is all morals. Okay, I'm not hearing repentance and the forgiveness of sins. I'm hearing human potential is unlocked by doing the good thing. Granted, living according to God's law is a far better way to live your life. And there'll be plenty of people in hell who did just that, tried to do that. Guy who succeeds at any cost. Don't model your behavior on the contemporary world. He continues, but let the renewing of your mind transform you. In other words, he says, I want you to love God's word. I want you to read God's word. I want you to study God's word. I want you to learn God's word because this isn't just your fire insurance manual. This is God's prescription for life. This is the pattern right here. This, is this isn't just God's fire insurance manual. Always the moralistic preachers demean salvation. Oh, well, see, the thing is, is that it's in light of the cross that true sanctification is understood. But we're not hearing the cross. We're hearing human potential unleashed and God's destiny for you so that you can be a hero just like the people in the book of Acts. Something to say about everything here from your life to your wife to your children to your career to your pursuits and to your pleasures. God speaks to all of it right here. And Paul says, let it renew your mind. Let it transform your heart so that you may discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable and mature. God's will is good and acceptable and mature. God's purpose for your life. I don't know if you know it this weekend, but you were created for greatness. Where does the Bible say that? You were created for greatness. I mean, this is just breathtaking. Yet this is becoming more and more the staple that we're hearing in these seeker-driven churches. And it's a patent lie. You were created for greatness? This is all about the glory of you, not the glory of God. Sola Deo Gloria. And no, most of us, are not destined for greatness. In fact, all of us are destined to die unless Christ returns in our lifetime. We are all destined to be worm food and to be fed and given the wages of our sin, which is death. Greatness. Good night. But you were created for greatness. There's a hero inside of you. No, there isn't. There's a sinner inside of you. You are by nature a sinner. Let, let's just do a little bit of work here in the Bible. Always a good prescription here. Um, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, 
like the rest of mankind. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that there are seeds of greatness planted in you. No, not at all. In fact, Jesus himself talks about this, the fact that out of the heart um, comes all kinds of evil and wickedness. Um, yeah, let's see if I got a verse on this one here. Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, Jesus speaking, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. Yeah, out of the heart comes those things. So the Bible doesn't say that we have seeds of greatness within ourselves. Instead, it says that we are by nature sinners and out of our hearts, out of our very inner being, come all of this muck and disgusting sin and rebellion against God. Evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are the things that come out of the heart. So the solu- the problem that this guy is trying to solve is not the biblical problem that's presented in Scripture. The problem he's trying to solve is you don't have the right heroes. And maybe you're just not experiencing God's divine destiny and dream for your life, and you haven't watered the seeds of greatness that are inside of you that just need to be awoken and so that the that greatness can take hold of your life and you can be this incredibly great, you know, heroic, destiny-filled person. That's to, I mean... Put it bluntly, he's completely misdiagnosed the problem. As a result of it, the solution that he is offering is not the biblical gospel. It's a different gospel. It's This is not at all Christianity that you're hearing. Your problem is not that you don't have seeds, of, that you haven't awoken the seeds of greatness and that you're experiencing God's destiny and plan for your life. Your problem is, is that you're a rotten, wretched, filthy, disgusting, sinful creature who has rebelled against God and is just out of your heart comes all kinds of sewage, evil thoughts, murder, slander, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander, etc. You don't have seeds of greatness in you. You have absolutely the fruit, the putrefying, disgusting, decaying, uh, dead fruits of darkness within you that need to be repented of and forgiven and covered and washed by the blood of Christ. That's the biblical problem. This guy isn't giving you that. He's giving you something completely different. There is a kingdom purpose that God placed in you from before the foundation of the world. He had it in mind and he dropped it in you when you were just a seed and an egg in your mother's womb. God put the Bible doesn't say this. Puts that on the inside of you. It's the reason for your existence. It's your destiny, if you will. You are created for something more than just getting by. Just walking through life. Just getting an education and securing a career and, and buying. Notice he's taking a knock at vocation. By the way, the, the, our vocation, our jobs are the primary ways in which we serve our neighbor and love him. I mean, I couldn't do what I do if it weren't for practically everybody in the U.S. economy and in many places around the world that do what they do. Uh, down in the fruit bowl downstairs at my house, we've got a uh, we've got a uh, some bananas and some pears. Those bananas came from South America, so some farmer somewhere in South America actually grew those bananas 
they were harvested by people who probably weren't paid all that much and put on a banana boat and sent to the United States. And when they arrived, they were picked up by truckers and carried to grocery stores, and the grocers did their business of gussing them up and preparing them for sale, and they came to be on my table, you know, at my home. And if it weren't for those the, the those people serving me in the vocation that God has put them into, I wouldn't have the gift of God's bananas sitting on my uh, sitting in my fruit bowl at my home. But notice the knock. Yeah, oh, that's it. Yeah, we don't want. Yeah, no, no, we're not talking about you know you just serving your neighbor in vocation. You know, being a mom, being a dad, being a worker, being a cubicle dweller, maybe working in the fields or being a trucker. And no, 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 no. We're talking about seeds of greatness. Listen again. Listen again. I'll just back this up a little bit, and you'll hear what I'm talking about. This is delusions of grandeur. This is not biblical at all. In your mother's womb. God puts that on the inside of you. It's the reason for your existence. It's your destiny, if you will. You were created for something more than just getting by. Just walking through life. Just getting an education and securing a career and, and buying a mortgage and raising some children and planning for your retirement. Nothing wrong. You were created for more than that. Really, where does the Bible say this? I mean, this is absolutely to hate and despise the very things that God is, the very vocations that God has put us into, being a mom, being a dad, being a worker. And these are the things that God tells us in his word to be about. Than that, He created you for a mission. He created you for a purpose. He created you for a destiny. And he's placed you here, and he wants you to know what that purpose is. And you can look to the world around you, and the world will usually get it wrong. Or you can look to the word before you, and the word will get it right. Paul says, study this. Romans 12 and verse 3. He says, blessed are you when you give yourselves over to God and turn your back on the world's sure thing and ignore what the world worships. What does the world worship? Five things. Money, sex, glamour, power, and fame. That's what the world worships, and there's nothing inherently wrong with any of those things if they're handled appropriately. But even then, they don't last. Don't spend the pursuit of your life in the temporary. Don't spend the passion of your life in what doesn't last. Paul says, don't do it. Turn your back on the world's sure thing and ignore what the world worships and go in search of God who gives lasting meaning and purpose to your life. A hero is someone with an uncommon courage to do the correct thing. Real quickly, number two, a hero is someone with an uncommon courage to do the courageous thing. Would you say that with me? A hero is someone with an uncommon courage to do the courageous thing. See, there was no room for compromise in the book of Acts. You'll see as we read through it this summer, the stakes were too high. The consequences were too great, loving not their lives even to the point of death. They stood before the rulers of the day, and they went biblical on the culture. They went straight at the rulers of the day. They spoke truth to power. Listen to what he says that they did. Is this the biblical gospel and message he's talking about? 
rulers of the day. They spoke truth to power and they didn't flinch. And the message of the early church. What was the message of the early church? Listen to the power brokers of the generation was this. Kiss the sun or bite the dust. Is that the gospel? The, the message of the book of Acts was kiss the sun or bite the dust. Obey or burn. No, that was not the message of the, of the book of Acts. The gospel message is repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And over and over and over again, the forgiveness of sins is placarded to sinners, both Jew and Gentile, in the book of Acts. This is just pure moralistic legalism. And it's mixed with some bizarre uh, ego-flattering cocktail of lies. To the power brokers of the generation was this. Kiss the sun or bite the dust. It was just that clear. That's biblical, by the way. Psalm 2, kiss the son lest he be angry with thee. And that was their message. This was spiritual warfare in their clearest form. And they didn't shrink back in the face of martyrdom. In the loss of their possessions. In alienation and rejection. They didn't shrink back. I know that the times have changed, and I doubt that you're going to have to take that kind of a stand for righteousness this week. But you are going to face other kinds of battles. Some of you are facing battles over moral issues. Others of you are facing battles over issues related to your integrity. We're all facing battles over whether or not truth is absolute or truth and morality are relative. That's what we face in our generation. The question is, how are you going to handle those battles? Are you willing to stand alone or are you resigned to going with the flow? Listen to what the Bible says in Exodus 23 and verse 2. Do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. Does it get any clearer than that? In other words, just because it's popular doesn't mean it's right. Do not follow the crowd. The crowd is usually wrong. And every single week you have to choose whether you're going to go with the flow or you're going to stand alone. I want to challenge you, do not follow the crowd. When everybody's cheating on your workplace, do not follow the crowd. When people show up late and leave early, do not follow the crowd. Listen to me, students. When you're surrounded by people who want to party all the time, when people who say, come on, smoke this, take a toke on this, try this, there's fun in this, I want to challenge you, do not follow the crowd. Don't follow the disloyal crowd. Don't follow the disrespectful crowd. Don't follow the cheap and easy crowd. Do you have any good news for those who've followed the crowd? Because there's been times when I've done that. I've followed the crowd. I've done things I knew were wrong. And I, and my friends were doing it. I thought I should do it too. It looked like fun. And boy, did I enjoy it. You have any good news for me when I've transgressed God's law? When you're surrounded by people who want to gossip. Killed a message right there, didn't I? (laughs) Do not follow the crowd. 
When you're surrounded by people who are negative and cynical and judgmental and jaded and their souls have gone dead because of skepticism. Come on, say it with me, church. Do not follow the crowd. So there comes a point in time when we've got to take a stand. And here's one thing I've discovered. Villains often travel in gangs, but heroes are willing to stand alone for what's right in life. They're willing to go against the... This is, the, this is the way you create a hypocrite. Yeah, I'm, I'm a hero. I'm pulling this off. Rather than being broken by God's law, these people are sitting there going, man, we're going to do this. Yeah, we're, yeah, I'm going to stand alone. Oh, yeah, yeah, you'll stand alone, all right. And what you need to is you, you, you need Christ's righteousness clothing you. Yeah. They're willing to go against the tide if necessary. A hero has courage. And then finally, number three in closing, a hero is someone with an uncommon courage to do the compassionate thing. The compassionate thing. Would you read it with me, number three? Say it together aloud. A hero is someone with an uncommon courage to do the compassionate thing. Listen to Acts chapter 2 and verse 43. I'll dig into it for just a moment here as we close. Acts 2 and verse 43 says this. Everyone around was in awe. All of these wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And the believers lived in wonderful harmony, holding everything in common. They sold whatever they owned and pooled their resources so that each person's need was met. What does that mean? It means that the fruit of the Holy Spirit in their lives was such that they that it produced good fruit where they loved and served their neighbor, not out of compulsion, but because of the new nature given to them by Christ. Hello? That. What does that mean? That means this was a unified church, and it was a compassionate church. And they did. And they were unified around the apostles' teaching, which was the teaching of Christ. <sighs> what they learned from Jesus. I don't know if you've ever noticed it or not, but there are five times in the Gospels where the Bible says about Jesus, and he was moved with compassion. 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 Some people live with compassion, but they're never moved with compassion. Some people feel deep compassion, but they're never moved with compassion. The church we find in the book of Acts was not a church that just felt the pain of society. This wasn't one of those, I feel your pain. Cue sappy music. Kind of things. I mean, they felt the pain of society, but they entered into this state of, of, of joining with the broken so that they could help them come out of their brokenness. They no, they preached the gospel, the good news of the forgiveness of sins, of peace with God because of Christ shed blood on the cross. Did you even read the book before you started preaching on it? They joined in in order to move people out. This was the kind of compassion that produces the power of righteous action. And, I and this is the kind of preaching that produces the next generation of liberals. Amen. Not just the people who are sympathetic. Not just the people who have heartstrings that can be pulled upon. And I, and I want to be that kind of person. It's easy to just kind of, you know, become jaded. Become jaded. You pull up to a street light and you see a guy there with a, a sign saying, we'll work for food. And you know what you think? Will he really? 
going to offer him a job just to watch him turn it down. We all find it easy to be jaded because we've all been burned. But I want us to be, and God wants us to be, a tender-hearted church. A church that says, all right, I'm going to be taken advantage of. But you know what? God is my source. I'm not going to be foolish. I'm not going to be unwise. But I'm going to risk some things for the sake of helping others. And I'm going to allow my heartstrings to be pulled because these aren't my resources anyway. They're God's resources. And if God can get them through me, then He's going to get them to me. So here I am. I want to be that kind of person. I'd rather risk... I'd rather. This is all about you, your efforts, your morality, your character. Da 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 da. This is the kind of preaching that produces Pharisees, hypocritical Pharisees. What did Jesus say to the Pharisees? You diligently search the scriptures because you think that in them you have life. Yet it, these are the very scriptures that testify of me, and you refuse to come to me that you might have life. You don't need it. Where's Jesus in all of this? Mysteriously missing so far. And yet the message of the cross is the central message of the book of Acts. You wouldn't know that listening to uh, Dr. Christ here. Person. I'd rather risk. I'd rather risk being taken advantage of than live life with blinders on. And never let my heart be touched to the point of compassion. And the church we find here in the book of Acts was this church empowered to cross forbidden boundaries because of compassion. So I want to give... Because of compassion? Empowered to cross forbidden boundaries because of compassion? No, because of Christ and him crucified for our sins. The proclamation of the good news of the forgiveness of sins won by the shed blood of Christ on the cross. But this week is to act on the compassion that you feel. It's not enough to feel it anymore. Now, be a hero and act on it. Well, since this is Father's Day, I want to close the message by telling you about some of my heroes. You're not going to find them in the book of Acts as we read through this summer. You're not perhaps going to find most of their names listed in history. But let me just close by telling you who my heroes are. Please, yeah, sure, go ahead. I mean, not that we would expect you to actually, you know, correctly handle God's Word during a sermon time and, you know, end off on the biblical... Well, never mind. Maybe he will end with the gospel or something similar to it. ...listed in history. But let me just close by telling you who my heroes are. My heroes are the men of City of Grace, the fathers who live with conviction and... Yeah, it's all about you, man. With courage and with clarity and with compassion. My heroes are fathers who get out of bed every morning and go to a dead-end job they find no fulfillment in because that's the way they provide for their family. And even though they're believing for something better, they're willing to do what is necessary in the moment. My heroes... Yeah, yeah. My heroes are the guys who know that God has a big destiny, that has some, some big plans planned for their life, but right now they're showing up to work and doing what's necessary, waiting for that big plan to emerge. It's aside for the sake of their wives and children. Fathers who esteem their wives in front of their children. My heroes are the fathers who teach their children about Jesus. They're the fathers who bring their kids to church and show them that... 
The finest hour of the week is Sunday morning in God's house. My heroes are the fathers who position their children to go further than they've gone and to do more than they were able to do. Fathers who keep their word. Fathers who keep their zippers up. Fathers who stay out of strip clubs and off of pornography sites and out of flirty circumstances. My heroes are fathers who put their weakness... Do you have any good news for the guys who uh, have, well... Haven't kept their zippers up. We're in flirty circumstances um, that, you know, that are dead beats, uh, that have committed sins and are not moral upstanding guys. Because really, no, even the guys who've kept their zippers up still struggle with sin because they're sinners. Do you have any good news for the sinners who showed up to your church today? under the lordship of Jesus. They are fathers who pay their bills and their taxes and their tithes. My heroes are fathers who take a stand in the heart of a generation and do what is right just because it is right. Those are my heroes. You are my heroes. Uh, this could have been preached in a Mormon church, a Jewish synagogue, a, a Muslim mosque. I don't know if they do preaching there. Uh, in a Mormon stake, in a Jehovah's Witness kingdom hall. Uh, this could have been preached during a Buddhist meditation. Again, there's nothing uniquely Christian about living a moral life. However preaching the cross and Christ in him crucified for our sins and regeneration through the powerful working of the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the gospel, through the proclamation of his word, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that's something different than just morals. Something completely different. The difference of night and day. You are my heroes, and I bless you today in Jesus' name. I bless you. Was that the gospel nugget in Jesus' name? I bless you. So they're clapping for the people at the church. Yay, giving them a high five. Is this synonymous with worshiping them? You know, giving them praise? Is that what we go to church to do? To give ourselves a big pat on the back and applaud ourselves? I pray for you, I support you, I encourage you, I lift you up, and I bless you, fathers, in the name of Jesus. Let, let, let me say this. Girls, put your fingers in your ears. You're not going to want to hear this. Anybody can be a baby daddy. Anybody can make a baby. Anybody can be a sperm donor. That doesn't make you a real man, and that doesn't make you a real father. Real fathers are those who take responsibility for that which God has entrusted into their care, and you are those kind of fathers. Bill Cosby, I think, sends a similar message to the the, uh, the inner city guys who... Uh, sleep around and make a bunch of babies with a different with a bunch of different girls i mean which god are we talking about here and old and i bless you this day and i pray that god would use you for for what great things there's a hero on the inside of you hey no there isn't there's a sinner amen let's pray father i Well, there you have it. Um, 
So apparently the book of Acts is uh, all about these great heroes, and it's the blueprint for the greatness and the great things that God has for your life. And if you're stuck in a dead-end job, just keep doing what you need to do to pay your bills because that bigger plan is going to manifest itself someday. You just, hey, yeah, because, yeah, that's what the book of Acts is all about. The, all these great heroes and the great things that, and the big plans that God had for them and the destiny that, yeah. No, it, that's to miss the entire point. The book of Acts is this wonderful, amazing story of the miraculous proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ to a dead and dying world lost in sins, sinful by nature, guilty of all kinds of terrible sins of adultery, greed, theft, murder, idolatry, and of the great amazing proclamation that despite all of our sinful rebellion and muck against God and knowing that we deserve nothing from God except for hell, that Christ died on the cross for our sins. He was pierced for our transgressions. And this proclamation of the gospel, God the Holy Spirit used to take dead, de dead sinners and to raise them to new life to equip them with the Holy Spirit and the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to put to death the deeds of darkness in their own lives, and to walk in newness of life in Christ, by His power, through the gospel, through His word. We didn't hear any of that. We just heard absolute delusions of grandeur. And as a result of it, this was not a Christian sermon. This was not biblical preaching, even though this is supposedly preaching through a book of the Bible. I mean, I'm beginning to wonder if some of the seeker-driven guys are hearing their the very real critiques against their preaching style and what they're doing, and so they're trying to put on the air that they're addressing the issue. Oh well, we, we we're not going to do a topical sermon. We're gonna we're gonna preach through a book. Yeah, because you know we hear the the very real critiques against them, and they know that it what the what's being said absolutely is true. So they say, well, look, I preached through the Book of Acts. No, you didn't. We just last week listened to three sermons from a guy who claimed he was preaching through the Book of Joshua, and he was doing anything but that. It had some Joshua veneer, you know, slapped over a self-help, uh, false doctrine, itching ears sermon. This sermon had some Acts veneer slapped over it, but it was the veneer was hiding a completely false and different gospel. Ear-scratching stuff designed to appeal to people who are already in love with themselves to boost their egos and let them know that God has a big destiny planned for them. Isn't that great? They have seeds of greatness on the inside of them. No, they don't. Dr. Christ lied to them. We do not suffer from not having our seeds of greatness unleashed so that we can live our divine destiny. Each and every one of us, you and me included, suffers from the fact that we are by nature sinful and rebellious against God. 
and the sins that you confessed and were forgiven of yesterday, well, sin is just like a beard. It grows a five o'clock shadow by the time you're done shaving and give it a couple of days and you've got a full-blown case of stubble going on. Always we need to hear the cross and Christ and him crucified for our sins. And that was the central message of the book of Acts. And to preach Acts without the message of the cross is to basically do God a complete injustice and to lie and deceive people about what the book is about. It's not about you and me. It's about the proclamation of the gospel. The proclamation of the gospel is about what Christ has done for us. Sad and tragic. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. What would you think? I'd love to get your feedback. You can email me. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>